The following Dharma talk was given at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. Welcome back, everyone. Nice to see you folks tonight. So this is week five of our six-week introduction to mindfulness class. And usually during week five, I introduce at some point the loving-kindness practice. So we'll do a little of that right at the beginning of this set, and then we'll check in, see what you've learned this last week or couple weeks. And uh, then I'll do a more formal introduction to the loving-kindness practice. We'll do a little bit more before we end at nine. Let's go ahead and listen to the body and settle into a comfortable posture for our meditation now. Whether we're doing the formal loving-kindness meditation or just beginning our awareness practice, our mindfulness practice, it's very useful for the first few minutes to cultivate or bring to mind the qualities of loving-kindness. And... It's best if this is done in a way that is really simple and authentic, something like recognizing I care about this life here and sensing this body sitting here. I care about this body, caring about this sensitive heart right here. So we're opening up or uncovering a basic care, a basic tenderness of the heart. And even if there's some resistance that arises, notice that it's possible to care about that resistance too. Any rigid or reactive emotion I care about that. In fact, I care about the way it is here in the body and the mind now. I care about this life. And recognizing in a very simple way that I care enough about this life, about this heart, this mind and body, I care enough to show up to be mindful, to be awake, care enough to be sensitive to how it is now in the body and the mind, care enough to have a clear, non-judging presence with the body and the mind. We could say, care enough to be intimate, to be right here in the middle I care about this life. I 
mature enough to be willing to be interested and feel the body, to be sensitive to the body just as it is now. Care enough to be sensitive to the breath coming in and sensitive, awake to the breath going out. I care enough to sustain this mindful awareness, to be continuously awake, open, knowing that the body's like this now, and not needing to judge it or not needing to reject. but in a sense saying, yes, yes, this is how the body is. This is how the breath feels coming in. This is how the breath feels going out. Yes, this is how the mood is now, the quality of the mind is now. Can this all be okay, this body and mind that I care about? enough to be close, to be clearly aware. So this is just an example of how to cultivate the right attitude for meditation. Of course, you do it in your own way with your own words. It just takes a minute or two. You might notice how already things, the mind has begun to settle down. The sense of being right in the middle, clearly aware. And using the basic training ground for mindfulness practice, breathing in, sensitive to the whole body just as it is. And while breathing out, sensitive to the whole body, just as it is. Connecting and sustaining from the very beginning of each inhalation, and then sustaining that open body awareness through the in-breath. And then, of course, the same from the beginning of the out-breath all the way through. Reminding both the mind and the body that it's okay to relax. Perhaps if there's enough momentum, enough continuity, you'll notice this calming effect in the body and mind. So breathing in, sensitive to the whole body and noticing the development of calm, 
And while breathing out and sensitive to the whole body just as it is, noticing the actual qualities of calm in the body and mind. So we're learning to recognize and actually appreciate the deepening and broadening calm, if it's there. This beautiful balance of both alertness and relaxation. Be willing to begin again and again. greater and greater continuity, often wholesome qualities begin to arise, the quality of calm, qualities of joy or lightness of mind, qualities of ease, that relaxation, contentedness of the heart, and at times qualities of stillness and peace. This is what you could call the natural maturing of samadhi or the concentration of the mind. And of course, there's also that which interrupts that natural maturing, distraction. So instead of thinking of distraction as a problem, it's actually where there's a lot of learning or insight to recognize whatever gets in the way of that natural settling in the direction of peace. What's in the way? And then whatever the mind recognizes is in the way, acknowledge it. Oh, this is being known. Planning mind is being known. It's just this experience, thinking, well, can this be okay? And if any of these distractions have a particular emotional charge, then remember to include that too. Oh, it feels like this. 
the charge, the heart feels like this now. Well, can that be okay? Can it be accepted? Can the mind be both alert, interested, and relaxed and trusting? And just allow things to be. These distractions will naturally cease. If they're seen without attachment, just seen as something being known. And when they cease, then notice that the experience of the body is right here. And the next breath coming in or out is right here. We just come back to the basic training, breathing in a natural sensitivity to the whole body. While breathing out, the sensitivity, awareness of the whole body. So let's continue now in silence.
it's always possible to begin again by simply recognizing what the mind is doing, acknowledging, oh, this is being known, it's like this, mental activity is being known, sensations, the body sitting is being known, can this be okay? We're learning to allow the conditions of the present moment to be the way that they are. And to trust that seeing clearly or feeling deeply the way it is, is the practice. Just to be aware it's like this. This experience of the body and mind is being known here and now, it's like this. You might even sense how liberating, freeing it is to be aware in this way, to acknowledge it's like this. And then to come back again to the basic training ground, which is while breathing in, sensing the whole body sitting just as it is, each time while breathing out, aware of the whole body, just as it is. And then when strong distractions arise, let the attention turn and notice, oh, thinking, it's just thinking. Or maybe it's worrying or planning or whatever it might be. But whatever it is, it's simply something being known. Here and now. It's just this being known.
And we'll take the last couple minutes now. Allow the eyes to open if they've been closed. And of course, sitting in a relaxed way, body soft. Everything's simple. Seeing is just seeing. Hearing is just hearing. Sensations are just sensations. Thinking is just thinking. And so for this last minute or so, noticing the presence or absence of attachment, that stickiness of the mind, that's controlling or struggling with experience, or the opposite, that sense of release and freedom, the mind just letting things be, coming and going. Exploring this possibility of unconditional acceptance. And noticing how this open presence, this non-judging, non-attached presence, has a quality of love or kindness to it. This willingness to be intimate or close with the qualities of the present moment. the heart undefended, and the quality of trust. Take a little time and adjust your body. Remember, it's okay if you want to stand for a few moments to release any tension in the legs, whatever you need. And maybe somebody in the back corner can turn the... Top two light switches up about halfway each. The top two. Thanks. So 
I've been mentioning over the last several weeks that we learn quite a bit from hearing what actually is happening <laughs> when you find time at home to sit or tonight while we were sitting and you experiment with the instructions. Basically, you're hearing the instructions from me, but then really you're learning to give the instructions to yourself to keep them in mind. So much of the practice is actually keeping the instructions in mind. As soon as we stop keeping the instructions in mind, the mind's just going to do what it does normally. You know, worry about this, plan that. So the prevention from the mind doing what it normally does is this new thing. And this is especially important in the beginning of practice. We need this new thing called our intention to practice. Because that's what, that's like the counterweight to the habit, which is to worry and to fantasize and to plan and, you know, all the things that our mind does. So it'd be nice to hear from folks and, uh, any questions that you have about the instructions. Remember, you could bring up walking meditation practice. It'd be nice to hear from a few of you who've experimented with that. So we'll do Q&A for a little bit and then we'll, uh, do some loving kindness practice. And remember to point right at your uh, the mic right at your mouth so we can hear you. Who'd like to go first? It snowed, <laughs> and a few a few brave souls actually made it here. And uh, yeah, I'll cover some of that territory, but it's recorded and it's up on the website. So just go to comgrammeditation.org, look under audio, and you'll see Introduction to Mindfulness Week Four. So you can just listen to it at your leisure. But if you ask a question, no one's going to respond. So, yeah, please. Can you pass it behind you? So you briefly touched on what my question has been for the last couple of weeks, is when I'm meditating at home, trying to keep the instructions in my head while I'm doing it. So is there any benefit to having a, to listening to instructions while you're meditating at home? Or is, or is it better just to keep plugging away and doing it yourself? Yeah, both. Because you learn different things. It's just messier initially, like if you don't, if you haven't internalized the instructions, there will be a, it will be a messier sit, perhaps, right? Because uh, the mind can get off track. But uh, but we learn a lot from that messier experience. Now you have recorded meditations because all of the talks here are there, and so every week of the class there's been a guided meditation. So you could choose any one of those, and there's of course many others there. And now all the Talks are on dharmaseed.org. Um, you can get them get there through our website, or you can go directly to dharmaseed.org and just search for my name. But uh, there are many guided meditations, way too many <laughs> out there. Well, that's my point. I've tried a few, and they weren't very helpful. They yeah. were more distracting than they were helpful. Yeah, so you want to find one, like at this point, because there's so much out there in the world of meditation, it's good to stick with instructions that are in the same vein. So either in the kind that are get, you're getting through this class 
or something similar to this. And the more stripped down, generally the better. Because we want, you know, the whole path is a path of self-reliance. So even though, you know, initially we have a place, we have a set of teachings, but over the years and decades of practice, the point is to internalize it and to be independent in the practice. It doesn't mean it doesn't help to have good friends and teachers. It absolutely helps to have good friends and teachers. But we want to develop self-reliance, even from the beginning. But don't be afraid to use guided meditations. Just do some practice without them. And then know, even while you're using the guided meditations, that your intention is to be free of them. right? And, and even be able to practice all day long. So even though we, you know, for almost ever, we'll be dependent on our formal sitting time where we put aside 30 minutes or 45 minutes or an hour to practice, but ideally that would be complemented with practice during the day and the practice during the day wouldn't be seen as like a lesser kind of practice. They're both important. Yeah, thanks for bringing that up. Yeah, what else comes to mind? What have you been learning? What sort of challenging experiences are really useful, powerful experiences, positive experiences you've had, or other questions? Yeah, please. Um, okay, am I close enough? All right. Um, I, I sometimes find that even when I'm able to say, okay, this thought is distracting, I'm going to return to the practice, I sometimes feel like, aren't I just distracting myself with the practice? I mean, isn't that, isn't that really just the same thing? Um, so I'm not planning my shopping list, but I, like, for example, I might be very attached to the words breathing in, breathing out. Mm-hmm. But I feel like, isn't that just a distraction? Aren't I doing the same thing? Yeah, good questions. Well, a couple things about your comment and your sharing, and I just appreciate kind of laying out because that's that's like it is we we notice that the mind's relationship to the technique like coming to the breath or even those of you who use some meditation words to support the awareness of the breath like repeating breathing in as you feel the sensations of breathing in repeating the words breathing out as you feel the sensations of breathing out that the mind can cling to those words and to that activity of knowing the breath in the same way that it can cling to the fantasy or the planning or whatever else it's doing. A couple things. When you notice your mind has wandered and you notice, oh, it's planning, don't feel like you have to rush back to the breath because that moment of noticing the planning mind isn't a problem. That's good to note. Like, if the mind is in fact planning, to be aware that it's planning is called mindfulness, right? Because now in that moment, the mind is aware, oh, this is being known. The planning mind is being known. And it's like this. It feels like this. Like if there's an emotional charge to the planning, it feels like this. So that visceral feeling that's going with the content, the planning content. So to take a moment or a couple moments to just be aware. Now, being aware of planning is not the same as planning. Or to be aware of anger is not the same as anger. To be aware of lust is not the same as lust. To be aware of worry, of fantasizing, of... It's not the same. 
because it's mindfulness. You're being aware of it. And part of what we're aware of is the seduction, like there's a compulsion to to want to get lost in the content of planning, right? So that's so that's a useful thing to be aware of. Like, oh, that's so interesting that the mind, it's almost like it's afraid to stop planning, you know, even though it might be something we've thought about or planned about many times, but this time's important. So that's called being mindful of the attachment to the planning, to the content of the planning, right? Oh, that's attachment. And then the mind really sees, and this the mind needs to see this many, many times, maybe thousands of times, the attachment is suffering. The attachment to planning is suffering. Awareness of planning, the planning itself isn't a problem, but the attachment to it is directly, immediately stressful. So it's good to change. Because I'm recording this, I'm going to change the batteries in this because I don't know if you can tell, but I can tell that the batteries are going bad. So just give me a second. They're just in the back of the room. And there was one more thing I wanted to say about your comment. So the, the first point I wanted to make is you don't have to rush back. You can notice the distraction and to really see value in that. And sometimes when what we'll notice in the distraction is it's not really the planning that's going on, even though that's the surface, like what the mind is doing on the surface. But what's really going on is there's an underlying anxiety a little bit below. So then we might, for a while, actually leave the breath and the sensations of the body as our training ground because we've got this other predominant experience. But it's not the content. It's rarely the content, like what I'm planning about. But the anxiety, that, that might actually prove to be a useful object of awareness for a while. So we notice, oh, just planning. Planning minds like this. Oh, there's anxiety. There's this unpleasant feeling in the heart. Well, can that be okay? And see, so now we're with it, but it's somewhat stable. It's not like immediately disappearing. So then, why direct the attention back to the breath? Because the mind is finding this experience of anxiety interesting. It may want to think about it, but we can train the mind just to be in the immediacy of that. Oh, this is unpleasant. Well, can that unpleasantness be okay? as I open to it, feel it. You know, remember the acronym RAIN, recognize. There are these unpleasant sensations in the heart. Accept them, allow them to be. Trust them, be interested. Interested means like letting those sensations, letting that emotional feeling reveal itself, present itself. And perhaps realize moments of non-attachment, not clinging, no trying to control it, trying to get rid of it, just letting it be what it is. Now that could go on for many minutes, being aware of that. And then maybe you catch yourself thinking about it, or you catch yourself trying to control it, getting tight around it, and then you learn a lot in that. And then maybe it fades, and the anxiety that was there in the heart's not really there, not perceptible. So then you come back to your basic training ground. Okay, well, there's still a body here. And right here in the body, there's this breath happening, breathing in, sensitive to the whole body. While breathing out, 
sensitive to the whole body. So that we have these options of just staying with the experience like that. And then when you do come back with the breath, yeah, there might be a little bit of attachment to it, but don't worry about that. Just invite yourself, like when you are with your breathing, with the sensations in the body, don't intentionally be tight. But there may be some tightness there even though you're not intentionally trying to be tight with the breath, right? But you have to be accepting. So sometimes the breath feels really forced. You're not intentionally making it forced or tight, but there it is, it's tight and forced. But don't get angry or frustrated because you have to let the breath and the sensations of the body be the way that they are. And a lot of us have been walking through life really tight for 57 years. So when we sit down and are more aware, well, we're going to notice the residual tension in the body. Right? So that just means we're being awake. Right? We're clear. And uh, so when you notice that tightness with the awareness of the breath, be really forgiving and patient. So there's a little tightness. So while breathing in, sensing the whole body, when I say sensing the whole body, it means we're feeling the body as it actually is. And the calm really comes from accepting the body as it is, not from trying to make the body something it isn't. We accept it. And it's the love and the patience with the body sensations and the interest and the willingness to be intimate, no matter if they're pleasant or unpleasant. That's what actually begins to soften up the field of experience. Some of these chronic ways we've been holding tension, you could become a fully awake human being and still have body tension, resulting, resulting from you know decades of being a tight human being, which we all have been to some degree. So the awakening process is not synonymous with working out every knot in your body. Some knots you'll never work out, right? You know, if you've been chronically typing away and you've got you know, strain in your wrists or if you've got problems in your back, you can do all of your spiritual work and your body still might be a wreck. So don't assume, don't equate kind of no physical tension with being a wise, loving, skillful human being. There are a lot of very limber, relaxed, on the surface people who you wouldn't want to be around and there are a lot of people with bodies who are, that are falling apart who have a lot of wisdom and a lot of kindness and a lot of capacity to be skillful. Yeah, thanks for sharing. That was really good to hear. What else have you been learning in your practice? What else comes to mind? Questions? Challenges? Yeah, Lynn. Last week, for those who were here in the big blizzard, um, we talked about difficulties. What is it that gets in the way of calm? What is it that gets in the way of the mind seeing things as they are? That's really good to share. Hi. um, Thank you. This is along the same lines. Um, My biggest challenge in my practice right now is... um, physical and the con- consequent uh, we even spoke about this some when we you know before but it's I'm really having a hard time um, just because it's so 
huge. I mean, I try not to um, resist it, and I, I try to be open to what's going on in the moment. Um, but it's it's balance. It's loud noise. It's you know. It's really really. It's even difficult to to be in public or be around people. You know, it's that bad. Are you and talking about the sound, or are you talking so about other sensations? Sounds a big part of it, the tinnitus. But it's a, I also have balance issues and stuff, and so um, like walking meditation, very difficult. Like feel like I'm just going to fall over. You know, even if you're walking at a normal pace. Yeah, and. Um, it's, what happens when you're really, sitting? Sitting isn't bad, except because I, I've had like the tinnitus long enough that I that is manageable. But the balance sensations are not very manageable. It's it's um, so you know it's the retreat last. I was really uncomfortable just trying to do it. The walking meditation. The walking meditation in a group because. Yeah. I really thought I was just going to fall over, you know, and it's a huge challenge for me. It's like I, so I tend to, um, I, I appreciated, it was kind of encouraging what you said earlier tonight about, um, you know, independence, just that I can continue to practice in spite of what's going on. Because any of the postures are appropriate, lying down, sitting, standing, walking, right? So the walking meditation can be a really grounding and balancing practice to sitting. But all the postures that you use for meditation, you know, you want to, they're like medicine. So you have to ask yourself, well, what posture is good medicine for the conditions or circumstances of this mind and body? And then take that medicine, use that medicine. So you might not do walking meditation. Maybe you do some easy stretching when you need a break from sitting, like on when you're on retreat and you're doing more practice. So to alternate sitting, find something that actually works for you. And maybe the walking doesn't work, but that's okay. You'll find something. You might lie down and do a few yoga po- poses on the floor, for example. I'm not really sure because I don't know your condition exactly, Lynn, but find something to balance the sitting practice to do. And like you said, if you're working well with the um, the sound issue when you're sitting, then there's no problem just sitting, right? This is a great thing. It's like um, we use sitting, most people, but not everyone, uses sitting because it's the ideal way to get back to kindergarten where the conditions to get a sense of what we're talking about in the practice it's like the easiest place for most people. But then from there, we're really taking it on the road through the whole life. So the key is, though, that each of us find a way to get some momentum in the practice. Like for some of you, it's easier when you're alone. For other people, it's just so much easier to come here and sit with other people. Or using a, uh, you know, a guided meditation, recorded guided meditation, or just silence. or eyes open, or eyes closed, or using a bench, or sitting cross-legged, or sitting on a chair, 
or alternating between sitting and standing meditation because of some physical injury, you can't sit still for long. So you sit, and then you do standing meditation, and then you sit, and then you do standing. So it's really, that way, it really doesn't matter how old we are or how injured our body is. The key is that we let go of expectations. You know, we all have seen pictures and or have ideals of the perfect meditator, you know, who can sit for a couple hours and they look really serene and relaxed. Sort of this Yeah, and they're made of bronze. <laughs> yeah. But it's a real setup for us. Because then when we do it, we feel our aching body, we feel our fidgeting body, all of the physical ailments sort of haunt us. All of the emotional, unfinished business seems to haunt us. We think, God, if only I had started this when I was 20. And the 20-year-olds think, maybe I'll start this when I'm 60 and retired. <laughs> I mean, it's we play that uh, that sort of game in the mind of, oh, I don't know. I don't know if this is right for me. But we have to you know, remember that if we don't do it now, when are we going to do it? There's that proverb, the best time to plant the tree was, you know, 50 years ago. The second best time is now, (laughs) right? So we didn't do it when it might have been easy or whatever. But this is a good time to do whatever we can do. How can we set in motion these tendencies of the mind to be clearly aware, to be relaxed, to be kind, be interested, right? Because that's how, you know, when you think of people like Olympic athletes or anybody who's done something extraordinary, they just didn't go do it. They systematically set in motion the causes for whatever they ended up becoming. So if we value, if we have an intuitive sense that this continuous clear, non-judging, kind attention would be a really good way to be in the world, then we have to... And it doesn't really matter if we're the one person with the most um, distractedness, with the most physical uh, illness. We just do what we can do. We still have an incentive to do what we can do. And that's that attitude is really useful because it's not easy to do this. Right? There's just so much momentum towards distractedness and superficiality. And I don't, did I tell you the story of the wish-fulfilling tree yet? I don't know where I heard this, but it's kind of, it's one of those meditation teaching stories that's used quite a bit. But So here's the story. There's a person wandering, and it's really hot. And there's not a lot of shade, and they're just sweating. And and so a very clear wish arises in this person's mind. You know, boy, I wish there were a nice shady tree. And sure enough, just as that person rounds the corner, there's this big, beautiful tree, shady tree. So the person sits underneath it and really appreciating the cool, relative cool, being under the tree. And it's like, yeah, it's so nice. It'd be nice to you know, for someone to show up and hang out with me here as I rest under the tree, a little lonely. And then just 
as you might imagine, a few moments, someone rounds that same corner and says, oh, a tree, and sits down, and they hit it off, and they really like each other, and talking about this, and talking about that. And that first person, again, thinks, this is so great, beautiful tree, nice person, hanging out, nice to have some snacks and drinks here under the tree. They notice the beautifully ripe fruit in the tree, and they pick it, and they a cool spring nearby, and they drink some water, and just like almost magical, you know, and they're sort of having a good time, but something nagging at that first person's mind, like, this is a little suspicious, you know. What if there's a demon in that tree? And then sure enough, the demon's there, you know, fangs, claws, you know, the whole works. I wonder if that demon's going to eat me up. And sure enough, the demon eats them up. So this is a, a simile about our mind. We have this, this is the issue, you know, when we sit, we have this very creative mind, this conditioned mind, the thinking mind, imagination. And of course, it's useful to have imagination. We need it in the world, we need it in life. Like even being able to imagine being a wiser more mindful, more loving human being, that's a useful imagining, isn't it? But the thing about imagination is we can imagine all kinds of things and then we tend to inhabit our imaginings. I don't know if you caught the news, but evidently a little asteroid hit the Earth. Forget exact the exact details, maybe some of you caught it in the news. But then they were reporting how many times little specks actually make it to the Earth. And how many people have actually been hit by these, you know, and if it hits you just right, the wrong place, you're a goner. You know, and we could get all worried about that, you know. But it's not actually, we're not worried about actual asteroids. We're worried about the thought. We've created the bubble of a me walking along, getting hit by an asteroid, or whatever it might be, you know. Or somebody being elected who we don't want to be elected, or you know whatever it is. So we have this mind that is constantly entertaining. It can create really amazing visions of me having the house I want and having the body I want, and or terrible things happening. And it's constantly entertaining in the same way that watching horror films and watching beautiful films is entertaining, right? So it's really hard when we sit down and we have this amazing entertainment system and not to use it. Because it can do anything. I mean, our mind, and especially as your mind gets more calm, then your fantasies, your imaginings, they're, they're even more vivid. You know, the more concentrated and settled and peaceful the mind gets, the more its imaginings are potent, seductive. But it's just what we need because we have to learn to let it go. Now, we're not saying we're never going to think again or we're never going to imagine again. It just means for the duration of our formal sitting time, let's say 45 minutes, we're not going to go there. And when that imagining, it will arise still, right? Thoughts, imaginings will arise. But we're just recognized. That's just an imagining. I'm imagining this good thing. I'm imagining this scary thing. I'm imagining this boring thing. 
and I'm imagining something about me, I'm imagining something about you. But right now, in the context of mindfulness practice, that is a thought or an image being known here. It's just an image being known. It has no more reality than it's just an image being known. Like if I say, you know, imagine a pink elephant. So you imagine that. And then what is that really, that imagining? It's not much of anything. But if, you know, if we imagined what to us is the worst possible thing that could happen to us, that would be more seductive. Right? You don't have any kind of emotional charge around a pink elephant probably. But if you imagine yourself with cancer or you imagine yourself in financial ruin or the person you love leaving you, that might be a little stickier, that imagining. Or if you imagine the best possible thing you would ever want to happen, happens. That would be a little bit more sticky. But in practice, we're learning no matter what the mind imagines, we're not picking it up as some kind of truth. It's just a thought, just an image. And if there's any emotional charge, that's just a feeling being known. Just a feeling. Just that. So part of that, you know, about coming back to the breath, even if we're a little sticky with the breath, it's so powerful at times to just put down whatever else the mind might be attending to. You know, to just take up as a training to be with the breath as it comes in and be with the breath as it goes out or to be with the whole body as the breath comes in, be with the whole body as the breath goes out. One of the things the mind realizes in those moments is that I don't have to take the bait. I don't have to think about that. I don't need to plan that. I don't need to worry about that. I don't need to know what's happening in New Hampshire. I don't need to know right now. Right? And that actually is quite liberating to be able to put things down. And this is really important, like those of you who have kids. Can you put it down? Like, are you pass the torch to the babysitter or to your partner, you know? Can you put it down for an hour? Or you have responsibilities at work or you care about some important social issue like racial justice or climate change and you're really involved. But can you put it down and play ping pong or be aware of your breath coming in and your breath being going out? Because there's... um real skill and insight that comes from learning you can put it down. And then when you see that re-arise in the mind, you'll see it for what it is. You won't immediately get seduced or become reactive to it because you know that it can be put down. So when you pick it up, it's uh, it's not necessarily for you then an object to grasp to struggle with or to get tied around. It's just something happening. So it really starts changing our relationships to our kids, to our work, to our body, to our life, to absolutely everything. This is the development of non-attachment, which is really what the whole path is about. A deepening realization of non-clinging or non-attachment. One of the great recent Thai masters, Ajahn Chah, who died in the early 90s, a Buddhist monk and 
train some of the Western teachers. But uh, I liked how he talked about Nibbana or Nirvana or this fruit of awakening. He calls it the reality of non-grasping. So we're waking up, like if someone asks you, what's this mindfulness stuff you're doing? You want to throw them for a loop, you could say, I'm learning to realize, I'm practicing to realize the reality of non-grasping. How to be a human being, how to be a loving, engaged human being with a life, but there, living our life through this reality of non-grasping. So it's like everything happening on its own. We always talk about this, like when you have a good game of tennis, you know. I was so in the groove. It was like, it was just all happening on its own, right? Well, how about our whole life that way? So the non-grasping, this is not, this is something that when we have tastes of it, we trust it. But initially, we, th- we, you know, by habit, by culture, we trust grasping and struggling and being tight. And it's like not caring. We think non-grasping, non-grasping would be like not caring. And caring means we're tight. I love you so much. I want this so much. So being alive has gotten for, just for an ordinary human being like us, being tight is the same as caring and wanting and being in life. But what we find as we pay attention is that we can be more engaged, more alive, more responsive, more loving, more skillful with that non-attachment, non-clinging. So let's take the last uh, 15 minutes and try some of the loving-kindness practice. And we'll do it at the beginning of our meditation and week six. So next week is our last week. So stretch your legs out and we'll just take the last 15 minutes. I'll go through the instructions. And while you're standing, I'll just remind you all that the all the instructions are on our website, all the handouts. So you can go to the commongroundmeditation.org, look under programs, find this course, uh, introduction to Mindfulness, you'll see the link there for all the handouts. And there's a really good handout on the practice of loving-kindness. So the instructions I'm going to give you tonight, now, and then next week at the beginning of our set are the instructions you'll find in that handout. So whenever you're ready, just sit comfortably. So you can always bring loving-kindness to mind. And what it does is it helps to balance out the habit to be a little bit averse or irritated or impatient. And you remember how we did it informally tonight at the beginning of our guided sit. So, But this is a more formal version of loving-kindness practice. So first you just sit and stabilize the posture sense of being right in the middle. Take a deep breath or two.
and eventually let the breathing continue on its own. Simply feel the heart center now. Feeling the heart just as it is, even if it feels hard or numb or beautifully radiant, just feeling the heart as it is. Care about this heart, sensitive heart. And we'll begin tonight by bringing somebody easy to love to mind. And generally it's good to begin with somebody that's not so complicated in your life. So you may love dearly your partner, your spouse, but you might want to begin with an aunt or an uncle or a niece or a grandchild or even a pet, some being that's easy to love, unconditional good feelings for. And take your time to have a clear vision, clear picture of this person or a real felt sense. And we're just remembering that I do care about you. I care about your heart, care about your life. So we're feeling the heart center and we're remembering this person. And I'll repeat some of the traditional phrases and Each time you can repeat the phrase silently in your own mind, in your own heart. And think of each of these phrases as a simple gift, a little act of generosity, sending out the wish. May you be safe and protected in all ways. And may your heart be happy and peaceful May your body be healthy, free from pain. And may you live your life with ease and joy. And in different ways, you can bring that person's name to mind if it helps. So just to repeat, may you be safe and protected in all ways. May your heart be happy and peaceful. And may your body be healthy and free from pain. And may you take care of your life with ease and joy. May you be safe and protected in all ways. May your heart be happy and peaceful and your body be healthy and free from pain. And may you take care of your life with ease and joy. So continue on your own and it's okay to change the phrase, but don't make it complicated, keep it simple.
Keep repeating a phrase, find a nice rhythm. Remember each phrase, each repetition is a simple act of generosity. You're sending out a simple good wish. Feel the goodness of that each time. May you be safe and protected. May your heart be happy and peaceful. May your body be healthy and free from pain. May you take care of your life with ease and joy. Taking the time, sensing our own life right here, this body, this heart and mind right here. I care about this heart. May this heart, this life be safe and protected in all ways. And may this mind be happy and peaceful. And may the body be healthy and free from pain. May I take care of this life with ease and joy. So change the pronouns now as you direct these good wishes toward yourself, toward this heart, this mind and body right here. Healing the qualities of love in the heart as you keep bringing yourself to mind and find a set of phrases that 
bring out your good wishes for yourself, for this life right here. May this life be at ease. So just drop the phrases for a minute or so as you continue to care and appreciate this life right here. Just feel the heart and just a sense of this basic goodness of the heart spreading, filling the space of this life right here. Is the radiance of love filling the space of this life, this basic goodness, this basic care? And then see who likes to come to mind right now. What other loved one or dear one? Could be a good friend, could be somebody from long ago. Just see who comes to mind, and as they come to mind, as you bring somebody to mind, just realize in the same way that I wish to be happy, wish to be safe, may you also be safe and protected. May your heart be happy, peaceful. May your body be healthy and free from pain, and may you live your life with ease and joy. Take a few moments as you radiate your love and use the phrases, sending out your good wishes to this person, this being.
And we end by just having a sense of sitting in this room together, understanding that everybody here, every heart here in this room wishes to be safe and happy. So in the same way that I wish to be safe and happy, everybody here be safe and free from harm. May all our hearts be peaceful, all our bodies be healthy and strong, and may we take care of our lives with ease and joy, not just here, but all beings near and far, human beings and the non-human beings, creatures. May all beings be protected from harm. May all beings be happy and healthy and at ease. May we all be free from suffering and free from the causes of suffering. So we'll just take a few more seconds silence in silence. Just feel the quality of the heart sending out this goodness in all directions. The warm glow of kindness and love. May all beings be at ease. So that's the loving-kindness practice, uh, sort of a relatively traditional expression of it. So what I recommend, you know, let's say you're somebody who's been able to sit for 30 minutes most days, or every day, let's say, take a positive view on things. (laughs) So then maybe do some formal loving-kindness practice at the very beginning, maybe five, seven, ten minutes. Then do your mindfulness practice. And then for the last two minutes, maybe with your eyes open, just being present like we did tonight, but then just take a couple minutes informally and just sense, just be creative, you know, using your own images or words, and just in a natural way, just find a way to wish well for yourself and for other beings, and then ultimately to the to all beings. So a non-exclusive kind of love. No, everybody's included, not just America. <laughs> like that Barbara said, God bless America, and that's it. <laughs> it's like all beings, yes. So just experiment, and then we'll talk about it a little bit more next week, and we'll do a longer version um, at the beginning of our set, just so you get that. And maybe once during the week, do a little bit longer version, maybe your whole set, do loving-kindness style practice. And then you can do it just informally during the day, a little 10 seconds here, a minute there. You see somebody, you don't know them, but you can still have that wish. You're a human being, may you be at ease. May you be happy. 
doesn't cost us anything, and it actually feels great. And it might actually affect that other person. But we don't know that. But we can know direct, what we can know directly is it's very healing to have wishes of kindness. But you have to discover that, the actuality of that for yourself. So please experiment and then share next week. And thanks again for coming, everyone. I'll see you week six. If you have a moment, these folding chairs go downstairs. Take care. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.